Chapters seventeen and eighteen of the Curved Blades by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Seventeen, the overheard conversation. Awaiting the arrival of Anita Frayne, Stone thought rapidly. Forming his judgments as always more by impressions than by words, he found himself believing in Pauline Stewart she had bought the paper snake she had lied about it but many women would have done the same knowing that the purchase of the toy meant definite suspicion wouldn't any innocent girl have feared and dreaded that exposure if she had been guilty she would scarcely have dared deny the facts of buying it lest it be proved against her and make matters worse again it was impossible to connect that magnificent woman with crime if she were connected with it it could only be as the criminal herself there was no theory that admitted of her being an accomplice or a tool stay there was that loria man stone couldn't rid himself of a vague idea of implicating the distant nephew by means of an accomplice on the spot but the notion was not logical if pauline had killed her aunt under her cousin's instructions she was just as much a murderer as if she had done it entirely of her own initiative and if the two cousins had conspired or worked in collusion it was stone's duty to fasten the deed on pauline as the available one of the pair stone ran over in his mind the letter from loria it gave no hint of greed or cupidity in his nature he was engrossed in the pursuit of his hobby archaeology and was only willing to leave his work if that would definitely please his cousin on whom he fully appreciated the responsibilities of the occasion would fall he fully trusted gray haviland to look after all business affairs so he was not a suspicious or over-careful nature he asked no immediate money and only desired some in the course of time to further his work whatever might be the truth there was no reason to cast a glance of suspicion toward carrington loria his opinion of pauline's possible guilt stone held in abeyance and miss frayne entering he greeted her with punctilious politeness and a confidential air tending to put her at ease miss frayne he began the situation is a grave one i am forced to the conclusion tentatively at least that miss carrington was deliberately poisoned by someone in her own household it may have been a servant but it is difficult to imagine how or why a servant could accomplish the deed at any rate i must first consider the members of the family and in so doing i must request absolute truth and sincerity from all i'm sure i've no reason to equivocate mr stone and anita's voice was almost flippant all i've told you about what i heard at miss carrington's door is absolutely true and i can repeat it word for word it seems strange to have it so accurately at your tongue's end not at all i went to my room and wrote it down as soon as i heard it i often make such memoranda they are frequently useful later fleming stone mused this seemed a strange thing to do at least in view of the later events but then if miss frayne had been the guilty one and had made up all this story of overheard conversation surely she would not have done anything so peculiar as to make that detailed memorandum or if she did would not have told of it i have of course a copy of that memorandum continued stone what i want is for you to tell me again why you think it could not have been entirely a soliloquy on the part of miss carrington for two reasons first i have lived with the lady for four years and never have i known her to talk to herself or soliloquize aloud of course this does not prove that she never did so but i know it was not her habit 
second nobody in soliloquy would ever use that definite intonation which is always used in speaking to a person you know yourself mr stone that a soliloquy is voiced slowly mumblingly and usually in disjointed or partially incoherent sentences the talk i heard was in clear concise speeches unmistakably addressed to somebody present she could not in a soliloquy use that direct form of address even if talking to some one in her imagination she would not keep it up but would go off in a reverie or drop into impersonal thought i wish i could make this more clear to you you do make it clear miss frayne i know just what you mean i quite agree that one could easily tell the difference between a spoken soliloquy and remarks addressed to a hearer but you heard no replies none at all but i hold that is not peculiar for while miss carrington's voice was especially high and carrying an ordinarily low voice would not be audible through that closed door you can prove that by simple experiment i have said flemingstone i have tried it and as you say an ordinary voice in a low tone is not audible but miss carrington's must have been raised unnecessarily to allow of its being heard stone washed anita's face as she listened to this but she only replied with a shrug of indifference i can't say as to that i heard every word clearly that's all i can tell suppose she had been talking to a picture of someone say a photograph of miss stuart or of mr loria or of count chalier would her tone of voice then be explicable perhaps but she would have had to imagine vividly the person there before her and again miss carrington had no such photographs in her rooms all her family photographs are in this library in frames or cases she was methodical in such matters she has series of pictures of miss stuart and of mr loria from their childhood to now but they are all in order in the cases over there anita made a slight motion of her hand toward a mahogany cabinet no mr stone whomever or whatever miss carrington was talking to it was not a photograph of any of her relatives or friends as you know there was none discovered in her room so what could she have done with it that's true miss frayne but hasn't the theory of a living person in there also inexplicable points if somebody was there it was of course someone well known and whose presence in the house was unquestionably correct but her remarks as i read them from your notes imply different auditors granting for a moment that miss stuart was there why would miss carrington say henri henri you are the mark i aim at i admit that must have been a soliloquy or an apostrophe to the man she wanted to marry though he was not present you have no thought then that count charlier was present certainly not the idea is absurd miss stuart was in there with her aunt and i'm sure it was some remark of pauline's which i of course did not hear that made miss carrington speak of the count as if to him how then do you account for the presence of count charlier's glove miss stuart put it there as a blind and how did miss stuart get it easily the count had been spending the evening here he may have left his glove by mistake or 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 pauline may have abstracted it purposely from his coat pocket during the evening with a prearranged plan to do all just as she did do miss frayne you can't mean to assert your belief that miss stuart so far planned the crime as to intend to cast suspicion on count chalier by means of that glove why not if pauline stuart is responsible for her aunt's death i assure you mr stone she is quite clever enough to prearrange all details and to plan so adroitly that suspicion should fall on someone else 
miss stuart is far more crafty and deep than you can have any idea of i have known her for four years and i can tell you she is far from ingenuous suppose we leave the question of miss stuart out of the discussion and continue our first line of thought had miss carrington ever spoken to you of changing her will as was his frequent experience fleming stone's quick question caught his witness unaware and she stumbled a little in her speech as she replied no why should she only because her frequent quarrels with miss stuart might have made her wish to leave less of her fortune to her niece and in the conversation you overheard miss carrington touched on this subject yes she did but except for that reference spoken to her unknown companion i have never heard anything of such an intention on her part you're fond of pearls miss frayne oh i know what you're getting at now that speech miss lucy made about fondness for pearls of course i am who isn't i often told miss carrington that i admired her pearls far more than all her diamonds or other glittering stones but i wouldn't commit a crime for all the pearls in the world and if i had why didn't i steal the pearls anita's voice rang out triumphantly as she put this question but fleming stone said quietly i haven't accused you of crime miss frayne but since you ask that let me remind you that if the crime were done with intent of robbery the reason that the robbery was never accomplished is the same that kept the man bates from stealing few people can bring themselves to take valuables from a dead body however i cannot think the poisoning was done with any idea of direct robbery but for the gain that would come by the bequests of the will then your search is limited by the list of inheritors it is miss frayne then mr stone how can you overlook or undervalue the weight of evidence against pauline stuart remember she bought that snake herself miss lucy never told her to buy it never in this world pauline feared her aunt would disinherit her how do you know that the question was shot at her and anita fairly jumped as she heard it why why you know i heard reference made to it that night when when you overheard that conversation yes go on fleming stone had gained his point which was to prove that anita did know of the proposed change in the will before that time and to his own belief he had proved it yes i cannot doubt now that polly knew her aunt intended to change her will and so she was so desperate at the idea of losing her fortune she-i cannot bear to put it in words she poisoned the lady said fleming stone very gravely yes anita's voice choked but she enunciated the word mr stone you must think me dreadful to hold these suspicions but you asked me to be frank and i wish you to be so i am here miss frayne to discover the poisoner of miss carrington it is my duty to get all possible light on the matter from any one i can it is the duty of those whom i question to tell all they know truthfully and straightforwardly if these truths implicate or seem to implicate a member of the household none the less must the investigation be carried on and the case be pushed to its inevitable conclusion the great danger lies in mistaking opinions or imaginations for facts now you are telling facts as to the words you overheard but you are giving only opinions as to whom those words were addressed that is so and anita's gaze was a wondering one but mr stone since the fact of that person in the room is undiscoverable one can't help forming an opinion haven't you one i have okay what is it 
i think those words were spoken to some inanimate object not a person suppose the remark thought to be said to count charlier was addressed to his glove which she was undoubtedly holding at the time i never thought of that because i have assumed that pauline put that glove in her hand after after it was all over to implicate the count and anyway that's only that one remark or two to what inanimate object was she talking when she said to-morrow all these jewels may be yours that i cannot answer the whole conversation is most mysterious indeed it is mr stone under any other hypothesis than that of the presence of pauline stuart in her aunt's room at the time may i come in and gray haviland's good-natured face appeared as he knocked and opened the door almost simultaneously yes said stone and i will ask you miss frayne to leave us i am getting to work in earnest now and i want to push things a little stone watched the effect of this speech on anita and was not surprised to see her look at him with startled eyes as she unwillingly went through the door he held open for her what's doing asked haviland in his breezy way and stone replied frankly lots those two girls are sworn foes aren't they of late they have seemed to be the break came a month or more before miss carrington died two beauties never can remain friends they are both beautiful women agreed stone which do you think had a hand in the tragedy good lord neither of them what are you talking about the count man is responsible for the whole thing bates and all i know you think so mr haviland but i can't agree with you now look here we've got to face things squarely take the story miss frayne tells about that mysterious conversation if it were all a figment of her brain what man you're crazy anita frayne make that all up out of the solid never in a thousand years if she said that talk was talked it was talked and that's all there is about that why or by whom it was talked is another matter and as i understand it that's what you're here to find out and between you and me and the arc-light i don't believe you ever will find out no no and this is no aspersion on your powers i believe that fool count was in there and as he'll never admit it and you'll never believe it how can it be proved never mind that now prepare yourself mr haviland for some unwelcome questions you don't want to but i must insist on your answering them which do you consider the more truthful and honest of the two young women i've just been talking to nixie you can't get an answer to that question out of me why i'd be a cad to say anything but that they are both impeccably truthful and honest so you would in ordinary circumstances but you must realize mr haviland that i am here for the definite purpose of solving the mystery of a terrible crime and i can only do it by inquiry and investigation if you really refuse to help me i must learn what i want to know in other ways but hang it man and haviland impressed by stone's manner considered the question i do think they're both truthful that is one of them oh i can't say it i can't talk against a woman you'll be obliged to tell all you know sooner or later if you tell me now i truly believe it will be better all round well then now wait i've got to think this thing out why i believe why blessed if i don't believe either of them would lie if she was in a tight place there you've made me say a nice honourable thing haven't you 
and haviland looked utterly disgusted with stone and with himself too eighteen fled the days went by leaving the mystery unsolved count charlier was released from custody there not being sufficient evidence to hold him bates was in jail awaiting the action of the grand jury but it was recognized that he was not the murderer of miss carrington search for the poisoner had so far been fruitless and the newspapers were clamouring for the arrest of somebody but the police detectives were at their wits end and even fleming stone was baffled for hours stone sat thinking over the many peculiar features of the case it was not in embarrassment that he felt himself unable as yet to trace the criminal it was rather with a sensation of curiosity that he wondered what point he had overlooked there must be some clue some definite indication of what way to look but so far he had not perceived it so interested was he in the search that he took no note of the passing of time or the growing impatience of those who watched him it's this way hardy he would say to the younger detective the mystery centres about that paper snake when we find out the reason for miss carrington's sending for that thing we've the whole story you believe then that she did send for it of course why not we've only miss stewart's word for that and it doesn't seem as if miss carrington would nonsense it doesn't seem you mean as if miss stewart would why man what possible sense could there be in miss stewart's buying that snake on her own account if she set out to poison her aunt which she didn't she could have managed it in a dozen ways without lugging in that paper reptile in fact it never would have occurred to her to do so why would she do it in an attempt to frighten the lady to death rubbish the first effect of such a fright would be a fearful outcry on miss carrington's part and immediate discovery of the plot moreover if miss stuart bought that snake for any such purpose she would have bought it secretly at some little obscure shop not at a well-known emporium no sir the snake is the key to the puzzle but how that is the question you see the doctors are pretty sure that the thing was put round the lady's neck before she died therefore she was either unconscious at the time or she was willing never everybody says her fear of the things would never let her have it put on her willingly i know they say so but they may be mistaken i'm beginning to evolve a theory that will fit the facts queer as they are but my theory needs a whole lot of other facts to back it up and those facts i can't seem to find does your theory implicate miss stuart it does not i thought not you thought quite right it does not implicate miss stuart because she is in no way responsible for her aunt's death but she may have knowledge or she may think she has that is leading her to shield somebody else whom i don't know she is rather a puzzling creature is she is she in love with that cousin of hers haviland no the one in egypt oh loria i don't know i'm sure you read his letter to her it wasn't in any sense a love letter no but it was evidently a letter written with the idea of other people reading it because of the circumstances of course he wouldn't put any intimate talk in it and it was typewritten so i couldn't judge anything of the man from his chirography does handwriting mean much to you yes indeed it is a wonderful expression of character but i don't suppose it would declare his adoration of a lady unless he put it in words also 
you don't connect loria with the crime in any way do you i don't see how i can unless in collusion or through the assistance of miss stewart and i'm not ready to do that i'm working now on that conversation overheard by miss frayne you accept that whole then yes for the simple reason that she would not have invented all that talk even if she were in the room herself and the remarks were addressed to her she might be trying to lay the blame elsewhere to create that conversation out of her own brain is too preposterous you see hardy these things must be weighed in the balance of probability if miss frayne had set out to invent a lot of stuff which she merely pretended to overhear she would have had two sides to the conversation it is that unusual effect of one voice only that gives her story the stamp of truth but there must have been another voice even though inaudible to her that's just the point there may have been probably was but if the story was her own invention she never would have thought of representing that second voice as inaudible now either she did hear miss carrington say those things or she didn't i believe she did because if she hadn't she must have invented the tale and if she had invented it it would have been different likewise miss stewart's snake story if it were not true that her aunt asked her to buy that snake miss stewart must have made up that yarn and if she had made it up it would have been different that's always my test for the truth of an amazing statement if the teller was falsifying would he tell it that way if so then it is probably a lie if not then probably it is a true bill now they say miss carrington had a high shrill voice did you ever hear it hardy no i never knew the lady but i've heard a record of it on the phonograph and it is high and rather thin on the phonograph how does that happen gray haviland is a dabster at that sort of thing and he has people sing for him and make records frequently and once i heard that they had a record of the dead woman singing and i asked to hear it merely out of curiosity or a general interest and it contained some spoken words too and her speaking voice is high and shrill just such as would carry through a closed door you can of course hear the record if you care to i do care to i'll make a note of that now here's another thing miss stewart has declared that she obliterated a footprint which was noticeable in that powder scattered by the dressing-table yes i know it and haviland states that it was he who wiped out that print what do you make of that that haviland did do it and miss stewart fibbed about it to shield haviland oh so it's haviland you think miss pauline is shielding i think it may be at any rate she suspects someone dear to her and you're way off mr stone if you'll excuse my saying so miss stewart has pulled the wool over your eyes until you don't know where you're at fleming stone gasped pulled wool over his eyes over the eyes the gimlet eyes the all-seeing eyes of fleming stone what could the man mean and this so-called wool pulled by a woman what unheard-of absurdity mr hardy he began yes yes i know nothing of the sort and all that but it's true mr stone miss stewart is a siren from sirenville she can make any man think black is white if she chooses and she has been bullied and cowed by that old aunt of hers for years and for my part i don't blame her for getting to the end of her rope if she-stop mr hardy i know you think you're right but you are not do you hear you are not and i'll prove it to you and that soon 
i'll ferret out this thing and i'll do it on this new theory of mine whether you believe it or not hardy looked at the man in amazement he had expected a different mode of procedure from this talented sleuth he had looked for a quiet even icy demeanour and magical and instantaneous solution of all mystery and here was the great man clearly baffled at the queerly tangled web of evidence and moreover caught in the toils of a woman whom hardy fully believed to be the criminal herself but he only said quietly what way does your theory point mr stone i may be able to help you you can't hardy because you're so determined to find miss stewart guilty that you couldn't see it as i do you consider the strange features of this case and lord knows they are strange separately whereas they must be looked at as a whole the gown the quantity of jewellery the smiling face the glove the overheard conversation all these points are to be considered as of one import as leading to one conclusion and you think of them as implicating separately mind you miss stuart miss frayne and the noble count now all those queer points are not only connected but identical in their significance but never mind that here's the place to begin miss carrington was poisoned she didn't poison herself who did mr stone you have put it tersely i entirely agree that all we are seeking is the answer to that last question of yours i will yet give it to you and fleming stone spoke solemnly rather than boastingly the poison the aconitin was taken by miss carrington as she sat there at her own dressing-table she took it willingly smilingly yes because she didn't know she was taking it when she ate the sandwich the poison wasn't in the sandwich she took that poison in water the tumbler and the spoon that were used are even now on the glass shelf in her bathroom you know this i know that in the glass that now stands there a chemist has found a slight trace of aconite i took the glass myself to be tested with that result this is not a great discovery it merely proves that the poison was administered in water not in a sandwich but it also means that it was given to her by someone who could persuade her to take the solution unquestioningly not under compulsion it would seem so and that points to miss stuart not necessarily hardy i refuse to discuss these things with you if you avow everything to condemn her why does what i have just told you point to miss stuart any more than any one else in the house why not miss frayne or haviland pshaw nobody suspects gray haviland but why not if you're merely suspecting here and there without definite reason why not include him on your list and here's another thing whoever mixed that poison in the glass of water afterward rinsed the glass and returned it to its place in the bathroom this was either done at the time that is before the lady died or later on after death had ensued in either case it opens up a field of conjecture it doesn't with me said hardy bluntly there's no room for conjecture it simply piles up the proof against miss stuart and all your skill and even your will can't get her off a low moan was heard and a sound as of a falling body stone sprang to the door and flinging it open disclosed pauline lying on the floor where she had just fallen with a low exclamation stone picked her up and carried her to a couch in a moment she sat up and cried what do you mean mr hardy do you think i killed aunt lucy 
there there miss stuart don't ask foolish questions and hardy deeply embarrassed stood at bay it was one thing to assert his suspicions to fleming stone and quite another to have them overheard by this beautiful and indignant girl how dare you pauline went on i was at the door and i heard all you said no i am not ashamed of listening i'm glad i did now i know what i have to fight against and you mr stone do you think me a murderer pauline cringed not at all she looked more like an avenging goddess as she confronted the two men and her blazing eyes and frowning face challenged their replies i do not miss stuart said stone quietly but pauline responded how do i know if you did you'd say you didn't i have no friend no one to stand up for me i shall send for carr he will defend me with a disdainful glance round she left the room the two men looked at one another guilty said hardy never said stone and then the two went their different ways hardy's way led to the police headquarters and his report there which included stone's story of the tested glass was heard with interest he demanded miss stuart's immediate arrest claiming that only she could have persuaded her aunt to swallow the poisoned draught inspector brunt was not quite willing to order arrest but he set machinery at work which he hoped would bring decisive results of some sort it did that same evening pauline went to fleming stone the two were alone standing before him in all her somewhat tragic beauty pauline asked you don't think me guilty mr stone he looked deep in the great dark eyes that seemed to challenge his very soul and after a moment's steady glance he replied i know you are not miss stuart can you prove it i hope to that means nothing are you sure you can fleming stone looked troubled never before in his career had he been unable to declare his surety of success but with those compelling eyes upon him he couldn't deny a present doubt shaking himself as if to be freed from a spell he said at last miss stuart i am not sure i am convinced of your innocence but the only theory of guilt that i can conceive of is so difficult so almost impossible of proof and so lacking in plausibility that it seems hopeless if determination and desperate effort can do it you shall be exonerated but there are many circumstances not in your favour these i shall overcome eventually but to be honest until i can get a clue or a link of some sort to join my purely imaginative theory to some tangible fact i can do little i am working day and night in my efforts to find this connection i seek but it may take a long time meanwhile meanwhile i may be arrested pauline's voice was a mere whisper her face was drawn and white with fear to stone she did not look like a guilty woman but like an innocent girl frightened at thought of unjust suspicion and terrorized by imagination of the unknown horrors that might come to her oh help me she moaned mr stone can't you help me pauline he exclaimed taking her hands in his pauline go he cried tersely i will save you but until i do keep away from me you unnerve me i cannot think i understand and pauline slowly drew her hands from his i will keep away from you stone let her go he closed the door after her locked it and threw himself into a chair what had he done full well he knew what he had done hardy was right 
he had fallen in love with pauline stuart he realized it quietly honestly as he would have realized any incontrovertible fact his subconsciousness was that of a deep still gladness but strangely enough his surface thought was that since he had fallen in love with her so undeniably so irrevocably she must be innocent then on the heels of this thought came another equally logical if he deemed her innocent was it not only because he loved her it was only after an hour of deep thought that fleming stone pulled himself together and realized with a conquering assurance that he could go on with the case and do his duty if as he was confident he could prove his vague theory to be fact then his love for pauline would help him to good work and triumphant conclusions if instead his further investigations showed his theory to be false then he must push on and if it couldn't be but if well he could always drop the case but and of this he was certain his heart should not only be kept from interfering with the work of his head but it should help and encourage such desperately clever work that success must come pauline did not appear at dinner that night and on inquiry stone was told she had gone over to new york for a day or two this then was what she had meant when she said i will keep away from you the next day came district attorney matthews to interview miss stewart her absence from home annoyed him and he asked for her new york address this no one knew as she had not informed any of them where she was staying in the city and mr matthews went off in a state of angry excitement but the household at garden steps was even more excited for this was the first sign of a definite action against pauline what it meant or how far it would go no one could say and then that afternoon came a letter from pauline herself it had been mailed in new york that morning and contained the surprising news that pauline had sailed at noon that day for alexandria get her back roared haviland as he read the letter wireless the steamer and make her get picked up by some incoming ship don't think of the expense she mustn't run off like that it's equivalent to confession of the crime hush demanded fleming stone how dare you say that it's true cried anita why else would pauline run away she knew she was on the verge of arrest and she fled to carloria he will hide her from her pursuers he can said haviland thoughtfully maybe it's as well she's gone there of course she did it of course she didn't and fleming stone's voice trembled in its very intensity and i shall prove to a lot of dunder-headed police that she didn't but it will make my work much harder if you to insist on miss stewart's guilt why do you want to railroad her into conviction of a crime she never dreamed of then who did it demanded anita to whom was miss lucy speaking when she said those things i heard if you harp on that string much longer said stone looking at her one might also be justified in thinking she said them to you no said anita in a low awed voice and looking straight at fleming stone no she did not say them to me and stone knew she spoke the solemn truth but she had not spoken the truth when she said she saw pauline stewart coming from the boudoir of her aunt End of chapters seventeen and eighteen